Catherine Devitt, you are the Environmental Justice Officer with the Jesuit Centre for Faith and Justice here in Dublin. And a year ago, you wrote a bit about the Paris Agreement. It's now a year on and the 12th of December, it's its anniversary. First of all, for listeners, a potted synopsis of what the Paris Agreement achieved in terms of climate change or what it hoped to achieve and its significance. The Paris Agreement was, I suppose, monumental in the sense that it brought together countries from all over the world to sign a unilateral agreement on the need to address climate change. Its significance lies in the fact that you had 195 countries and they all agreed and acknowledged that climate change is now a serious threat. So the agreement provided an impetus for more ambition around acting on climate change and a more progressive approach. In terms of the details then, I suppose one of the the key um, facets of the agreement was the um, was around temperature limit and the agreement agreed to hold temperature to well below two degrees by 2100 and to pursue efforts to limit the temperature increase to 1.5 degrees. Now of course they have no control over the weather but what they do control have control of is how the our pollution affects the weather so what were the implications of trying to bring that temperature down and holding it? We know now that a two degree rise in temperature above pre-industrial levels would have significant impacts on our own place here on planet earth and the place of other species that we share this planet with and it would not only make life very very difficult for us here in ireland but for countries uh, communities that are a lot more vulnerable than we are yet who contribute less to climate change would suffer a lot more um, so um, in terms of our own survival, it's we have no choice but to aim to keep it um, at that two degree. But what, what are the implications of keeping it at that two degree? I mean, what did countries sign up to doing? So um, that's where the agreement probably falls in terms of detail. So the mechanism provided to keep to that two degree are these national pledges, which will be reviewed every five years. However, when we look at these pledges, they don't actually add up to a two degree limit. They actually add up to around between 2.7, 3.7. So that's where the challenge lies going ahead, is that if we have these national pledges and when combined, they don't even have us in that safe operating space, we need to actually get back to the table and, and have a look and see, well, how can we take more radical, urgent action on keeping it down? So the implications for society, incredibly challenging over the next number of decades. But I suppose there is opportunity to improve our place here on planet Earth. So it's high on aspiration, less Mm. concrete on detail. A year later, have we in Ireland done anything? We have, yeah. So in Ireland, then, we have um, legislated for climate change through our Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Act. came in last December in 2015. Problem in Ireland is that during the economic recession, our um, emissions actually went down. However, because of economic growth, they're now going up particularly in the transport sector and from agriculture as a result of increasing our national herd size. So unfortunately, we will miss our 2020 targets. They're targets from the European Union. And uh, the chances of our meeting our 2030 targets um, is becoming more challenging. Um, Why is that? Are we doing anything at all to... I mean, I thought we did bring in tax incentives for mm -hmm. cars and things like that. And 
you know, you see less old cars on the road nowadays. I think some of the, what the government, I suppose, have been saying is that we need to first get back into a stable position in terms of our economy and then we'll have the necessary finances to actually address the climate problem. But still we're going to be fined by Europe, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. And I think what we're doing is essentially pushing the, kicking the can down the road and we don't have time to do that. In our national policy statement on climate change, we have committed to a 80% reduction in CO2 emissions by 2050. However, if we look over the past number of years, our emissions are at 3% above 1990 levels. That was 26 years ago. And yet we plan on reducing them down by 80% in the next 34 years. By 80%? We'll never yeah. do that, will we? Uh, by the way things are going at the moment, it will be incredibly challenging and it will require radical transformation. Transformation being the key word. Like people on bikes all the time or electric cars or what? It's a radical change across all our sectors. I mean, people on bikes, it, that that's fine. That doesn't work for everybody. If you live in a rural area, you may need to commute by car by long distances. But it needs to be joint up thinking. We need to almost Paris-proof all of our policies. So in other words, when we look at our policies, we need to then look at, well, what have we committed to? What should we now signed up for under the Paris Accord? And then what does this mean? Uh, so this two degree, 1.5 degree limit, what does that mean in terms of how we design and implement our policies? If it means that we are off the mark in terms of keeping to that temperature rise, well, then we just need to go back to the table. So in the year, in this intervening year, things have happened. Do you First of all, before I go on any further, I just keep thinking about the Trump effect. I mean, Mm. one of the signatories was the United States of America to the Paris Agreement. However, that was when they were under the Democrats who believed the climate change was a reality. We now have a president of the United States who really doesn't. I know he's rowing back a little bit, but not much. Does that worry you? Yes. And in some respects, it's not so much Trump himself, more the people that he is appointing to the various positions that they're actually quite worrying. In what way? I suppose, first of all, in terms of their relationships with what we would call the kind of big, big oil, big fossil fuel sectors and the kind of lobbying power that that exists behind a lot of those relationships. So there's that element. I don't think Trump is actually a climate denier. I think he just chooses not to respond. I'm sure he well believes in climate change, but he's just taking a particular path and not responding to it. Do you think that it's it, that's going to have a significant impact? Because if you think of a big polluter like China, if they look mm. at America and say, well, they're not concerned about it, why should we? Yeah, well, first of all, on the China front, I think we tend to look to China's big polluter, but they're actually making considerable gains when it comes to renewable technology. China and a lot of other countries that we would have seen maybe as big polluters are almost taking the lead in a lot of this. We've stopped looking to the US. Well, in some respects, I think, unfortunately, it's not going to help the public conversation around climate change in the US. But having said that, certainly here in Ireland, I was amazed by when Trump was elected, I was amazed by how prevalent the words climate change featured in our media and in our public conversations on the radio and so on because it's the one thing that people go to almost when they talk about Trump's policy well what what does he say about climate change so there's almost a silver lining here in the sense that we are talking more about it at least and that in itself is is a good thing the only thing is that with with the with the Paris agreement countries are locked into this kind of three-year 
a commitment and they need to give one year notice if they want to um, withdraw. So I mean, there's some hope there that his four-year presidency will be that just four years. Though he has to do things in those three years, which yes. we would remain to see. Mind you, Ireland has a lot to do as well. Mm. The conversation certainly, at least maybe there's hope to take from that, that people are much more aware, much less likely to brush it under the carpet. We have mm. the Pope speaking Laudato Si that mm. probably had a, an impact on that as well. Mm. So generally, in a summation now, to, in one year on, um, are you happy, depressed, hopeful, Mm. What what would you say as an environmental justice officer mm. with the Jesuits that this Paris Agreement ha- has it done anything? Um, it's a mixture of both. To be honest, I'm very hopeful that we're actually uh, legislating now for climate change. That we have these uh, universal agreements. That there's political consensus in line with what we know from science. Um, my concern is that the action is not urgent and not radical enough. Um, based on what we know in terms of the scientific evidence that's coming out um, and that we we're, we're um, sitting on the fence with a lot of the decisions that we need to take uh, so that that's one concern I think the co- other concern is around finance for example in the Paris Agreement there is a commitment to um, provide a floor of 100 billion dollars per year uh, to countries that have to um, really that, that are at the forefront of climate change and make Ireland for example have only committed to around 50%, 50 cent per capita and that pales in comparison to the amount of money that's been uh, directed to um, fossil fuel companies in, in, in the form of fossil fuel subsidies if that money was redirected towards uh, renewable energy, towards um, climate mitigation and adaptation uh, we would probably um, achieve the goals of the Paris Agreement a lot, lot quicker and are you referring there to developing countries that are not able to finance the kind of things that need to be done? Yeah, like uh, developing countries. So um, just a number of weeks ago, um, COP, COP22 was happening in Marrakesh. And there, a lot of the developing countries agreed to be 100% renewable by 2050. So developing countries are already actually taking a leading role. The, the issue there is that they really are at the forefront of climate change in terms of drought, in terms of flooding and so on. Uh, I read a figure last week that said that the impact of climate-related disasters is about 13% of the GDP of developing countries as opposed to 2% of the GDP of developed countries. And yet... And in simple language, they're affected six times more... Absolutely. Harshly. Yeah, absolutely. And even for a country like Ireland with a relatively small population, our footprint, our carbon outputs is so much more significant than, say, a population of Malawi or Zimbabwe. So that's where the whole climate justice angle comes in. So there's a massive responsibility there in countries like Ireland to, to really take the lead in terms of acknowledging our responsibility and acknowledging the role that we play in terms of bringing about a more just world on the climate change front. So a final word to people listening to this interview, because it can all seem a bit abstract, can't it? It's all out there and the politicians need to do it and big business and government needs to do it. But Mm. for ordinary people, what can they do? It's a very good question. I think essentially where we're at is that we, we, we need to reconnect with our natural world. And climate change is just a symptom of our disconnection. And climate change can often seem like a very abstract concept. It's very hard to get our head around sometimes. In terms of what communities can do, it's really about 
reconnecting with with our local environment and, and this is strongly emphasized within the encyclical it's reconnecting through community networks whether it's through tidy towns groups whether it's through biodiversity groups whether it's through local co-op systems again uh, emphasized in the encyclical so i think it's it's about taking something that's very abstract and very global and bringing it down to the local level and bringing it down to things that that we really really care about family friends local networks local communities and using those realms in terms of change for a better world